1: culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision.
0: We talk about religions today in the chaos. An important question to explore as we try to make sense of the conflict and the chaos that's sweeping so many nations, and we might even acknowledge that there's some chaos growing here in Australia. Have you ever heard it said, all religions are basically the same? They all believe in love and goodness, don't they? Or they're only different in origin stories or salvation or what happens in the afterlife. Well, it might be an eye-opener to discover that there are things about our Christian faith that are very different to other world religions, like, say, Islam. Well, Dr. Mark Durie is our guest through this coming hour. He's Founding Director of the Institute for Spiritual Awareness and Senior Research Fellow at the Melbourne School of Theology. Dr. Mark Durie, a special welcome along to 2020.
1: Great to be with you again, Neil.
0: Mark, let's get into this conversation, just bringing this into some context, because while we're looking at our national news headlines, and we're seeing chaos in so many nations, we're seeing unrest even here on our shores in Australia, perhaps it's the case that religion is more important than people think when it comes to the harmonious way that we hope society will run. What are your thoughts here?
1: Yes, and a lot of Western intellectuals with a secular perspective just assumed that religion would die out at some point. Uh, Professor Sheila Jeffries, who used to teach um, gender politics at Melbourne University. She had that view, she said, in the 70s. She just came to view religion as on the way out. And there's sort of evidence for that. Empty churches, um, aging congregations. And so that's been a really widespread view. But in fact, religion is on the upswing around the world. People are more religious now than they were 20, 30 years ago. And um, religion is figuring a lot in different conflicts and tensions in different parts of the world. and uh, and people are trending more in a religious direction so it's it's not it's not on the way out i think um people needed to believe that religion was in decline they wanted to believe it and so it became the the orthodox view i suppose the standard view in our culture well that was the
0: secularization thesis uh, that as technology and knowledge grow uh, religion will decline So when it comes to the fore like this, the thinking very secularised. I even note that the general media reporting on issues like what's going on in the Middle East reporting on that even from a secular view and uh, with disregard for the fact that there's technically what's going on in the Middle East, uh, something of a religious war here too. Uh, So religion right at the centre of what's happening in the headlines and yet we've got a media that wants to uh, deny that fact.
1: That's true. Um, People are blind to religion, I think, and when there are religious causes for things, people overlook it. Um, Just recently... Published a book called um, *Double-Minded* on Christian attitudes to sexuality and and the influence of that in culture today. And um, one of the things that secular people have trouble with is the the, the vitality of conservative Christianity. Um, that in fact it's more liberal and progressive Christianity, which is which is dying out and disappearing. And so people underestimate the the force of of faith, even even in Australia. Um, and certainly when it comes to Islam, people have a lot of trouble understanding the religious drivers of, say, the war that's happening in Gaza now or other other struggles, conflict zones around the Middle East that are very much influenced by religious religious aspirations. It's just like, it just doesn't compute, you know, you just can't, people just can't process it. I think Marx is partly to blame, like he, he said that um, religion is the opiate of the masses, which sort of implies that it's a drug. It's a tool that's used to keep people happy. And that, that does imply that it's not a cause of anything. It's, it's just something that maybe the rich use to exploit the poor, but it's not actually a formative force. And uh, that's, a, that's a great mistake. Religion shapes uh, people's lives in really profound ways, if only we would open our eyes and see. And interesting,
0: isn't it, uh, that when we think of our Christianity of biblical values that actually lead to freedom – uh, compare that with the Marx view, which ultimately leads to somebody in control and uh, usually by way of tyranny. Uh, so, uh, you know, those sorts of things can, can certainly be proven to be wrong and that uh, there is a certain freedom that comes from uh, appreciating this biblical view. Let's talk about religions, though. There's a commonly held view, Mark,
1: that all religions are the same. Um, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, people sometimes say many, many paths to the same mountain. <laughs> um, I would occasionally have conversations with the school principal when I was working in a parish as a as a parish priest and she had the view that um, all religions are the same. And I think she would she would bring this out as a way of affirming that she felt good about Christianity. Like religions are okay and they're all the same. They all teach love your neighbour as yourself and you know, be kind to others and so on. So, so Christianity's all right too. <laughs> and um, I was really struck by these conversations because uh, I don't think it's true. Religions are quite different. I mean, the ninety-nine percent of the difference between Australia and Saudi Arabia is religious. It's caused by religious differences, and um, religions has a very powerful influence on people's lives, and it, it really shapes the destiny of nations. It Yes, it certainly can drive conflicts as well. And I've often wondered, you know, why, why people are so resistant to the idea that religions could be different. I mean, obviously, in politics, people understand that different political persuasions produce different outcomes. North Korea and South Korea are different, very different. And they're different because of political ideology. Why shouldn't faith ideology that deals with the most fundamental questions of life and what it means to be human, why shouldn't that produce... Different societies and make a, make a difference in the in the quality of life, you know. So um, it's really often I've, I've I've been puzzled to think about why why are people so allergic to the idea that there could be significant differences between faiths? And I've come up with a few I've come up with a few possible reasons. <laughs> um, I think uh, one reason, apart from the influence of say Marx and so on, is that if all religions are the same. You don't need to think about it. <laughs> you can just be your, have your own religion. You know, it doesn't, it'll doesn't. it be the same as well. Uh, so that's that great relief, you know. You don't need to worry about God. Don't need to go to the church. Um, morality, well, make up your own. It's fine. I mean, all religions are the same. So it sort of lets you off the hook. Uh, it um, enables you to have a good long sleep. And on a Sunday morning, <laughs> you just go your own way. You can be terribly tolerant at the same time. Um, uh, because you, you can see all religions are the same. Um. I know you love history,
0: and uh, just thinking off the top of my head as you're sharing those things uh, while people will talk about what happened 500 years ago in the Reformation and uh, beyond the Reformation... Uh, you had a religious war, the Protestants versus the Catholics. And uh, this sort of fizzled out a little, um, you know, 100 or 200 years later when people said, well, uh, let's give up on all of this. If uh, if Christians are infighting uh, Protestants versus Catholics, uh, why don't we all just go shopping instead? And uh, what you're sharing is this thought that somehow or other people don't want to recognise conflict between religions And so, therefore, uh, in order to make them neutralised, they try not to think of them at all. And so uh, that then leaves a space open, doesn't it, for this sort of uh, idea of uh, let's go shopping instead and then there's a materialist aspect of of how we are. But then we deal with the consequences of what happens when things begin to fall apart.
1: Uh, Any thoughts on that? Yes, I think that's right. And This idea that religions are sort of all the same and they don't really make any difference... um, means that when there are conflicts, people look for grievances and they'll say if we can resolve the grievances, for example, if we can deal with Palestinian grievances, then there'll be peace, Uh, just to give one example. Or, or, um, you know, the US have been trying to uh, deal between um, uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan says that Armenia is Western Azerbaijan. They really, they act as if they want to conquer it, as if they don't want Armenia to exist and then the outsider, the Western outsider, comes in and says, oh, what are your grievances? Let's resolve the grievances. And we'll find a win-win situation. But actually, it's not grievance that's driving the conflict. It's a religious vision. It's a vision that this land belongs to our faith. And and it's similar, I think, similar issues in Gaza. It's um, You can resolve differences, uh, you resolve grievances until the cow go- cows come home, but you'll still find that the the driver of the jihad is uh, is something much deeper and harder to shift than um, even just land rights for example um, so that's that that causes a lot of harm I think people misread the the reasons for conflicts and misunderstand them and try and fit them into their own framework uh, which uh, w- without actually understanding the religious For the Christian listener
0: today, Mark, um, the thought that all religions are the same because we would tend to interpret uh, what other religions might believe because of what we've been taught in our own Christian context. But is there a marketing issue in play here because, uh, as you'll know, uh, Islam is promoted as the religion of peace, uh, but uh, there'd be lots of scholars and lots of evidence that might say that's not the case at all. Uh, is that something to do with marketing? Uh, what are your thoughts here?
1: Yes, I, ha- I did a bit of research into this. Um, and when did the religion of peace term begin to be used? And it was in the middle of the 20th century. It's, it's, it, Islam was not known as the of peace, religion of peace until, then in fact, in the 19th century, normally Religion of Peace in in English referred to Christianity. So it's a fairly recent idea. Um, the idea is is based on the on the, really on the concept that when Islam rules, when it when it's victorious, peace will come. So it's the peace that comes after conquest. <laughs> There's a jihadi group in Mozambique who who's been killing people, and they said we declare war on Christians, uh, telling them to become Muslims or to pay a tax. Um, and he and they said to Muslims, "We announce peace to the whole world." <laughs> this is their declaration of war, an annunciation of peace. So there's a, um, a misunderstanding of of, of that. Um, actually, the word salam in Arabic really means safety or submission. So what Islam offers is submission rather than rather than genuine genuine peace. But another example of of a problem of framing and language is. Um, Islam has a tradition of Muhammad, a hadith, they call them, something Muhammad said, which is um, that basically you're not really truly a believer until you love for your brother what you love for yourself, so that you want for your brother what you want for yourself. And sometimes Christians have said, oh, look, that's the love your neighbour is yourself version, you know. But actually, the hadith says love for your brother, and that's understood as love for a Muslim. So uh, the hadith says you should you should want for your Muslim neighbour what you want for yourself. It doesn't mean all people. It's particularly for Islam. But I've certainly seen Christians interacting with that text and saying, oh, that shows that this this rule of wanting for others what you want for yourself is found in all religions, including in Islam. But when you look at the Islamic commentaries on that on that on that verse, on that saying, they all say, no, this is this is for your Muslim neighbour, not for your non-Muslim neighbour. There's a difference between people. And that's, that's a profound difference between Islam and Christianity.
0: In fact, Mark Dury, if we come to uh, this sort of question, and uh, Dr. Mark Durie is our guest, if we come to this sort of question, uh, some are going to say, well, in this day and age, we're past all of that alignment with particular uh, faith religions. Uh, we're into a time now where we just say, whatever I think is true is true. How important is it to get some things right around
1: that sort of question?
0: Yeah, this is the, the
1: postmodern rejection of the idea of truth, that everything is about power. And people's. will, you, it's come into everyday language. So people would say each person has their truth. And we were saying, I was saying my truth, which means what I what I believe or, or, or insert happens. Um, and and if you take that view of religion, then all religions are fine, they're just they're people's truth, and everyone's got different truths, and we you just respect their truth, you know? <laughs> but of course, truth claims are contradictory and uh, can be contradictory, and uh, they can't all be true at once. and um so there's been a, a kind of laziness that's crept into our culture and and an unwillingness to discriminate, unwillingness to make a judgment, um, to step back. you know, oh, that's the way you do things. It's as if, it's as if religion was a bit like spicy food or some sort of variety of, of an ethnic dish, you know, that it doesn't really make any difference whether you have one chili or two. I mean, it changes the flavour, but it's not a not a life major issue of life. Um, but, but, but religion is not in, in that nature. Religion makes fundamental claims about who we are as people and what is right and wrong. And this is not something that can be just pushed into the individual personal uh, view. I mean, another thing that's gone alongside with this is a view that people can make any book mean anything, you know, that the the meaning of a text is in the reader, not in the the text itself. And if you take that view, then you can you just sort of say, oh, well, the Bible, the Quran, people can people will, will make it mean whatever they want. You know, they can have extreme interpretations. And this is a terrible mistake. Actually, books like the Bible and the Quran very powerfully project a worldview, they shape cultures. Um, yes, people can interpret them differently, but the, 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 the variety of interpretation is nowhere near as big as people might imagine. And, and I mean, I've traveled around the world and visited Christians in different parts of the world, and I find a commonality, whether it's an Ethiopian Christian or a Thai Christian or a South Korean Christian, you know, there are differences. But we share, profoundly share a worldview that's been shaped by the life of Christ and His example and teaching and we're getting that example aren't we through
0: our Bible and uh, you've written some award-winning books uh, with regard to some comparative studies of our Christianity and uh, religions like Islam if we're talking about uh, faith and authority in the value of a text and we you know we have the Bible and Islam has its Quran um, when do, where do we start here by understanding that our we don't need to be ashamed of our our Bible and how we can actually say this is the
1: authoritative book. Absolutely. The the Bible is the foundation of our faith. And it's also been um, the most formative text for Western civilization, I believe. Um, It has deeply influenced our culture. Just to give you a small example, um, the view that you can disagree with someone without wanting to punch them, you know, that you can... Criticise someone's ideas without attacking the person. This is ultimately, I believe, grounded in Jesus' teaching of love your enemies and do good to those that hate you. That is, you can reject someone's claims, their truth claims, their ideas, without necessarily hating them. And um, that's a fundamental characteristic in our culture. It is not shared by all religions. Uh, It's not one of the values in Islam. Um, I was involved in um, a court case, a tribunal case in Melbourne between the Islamic Council of Victoria and two uh, preachers, one originally from Pakistan and one from Sri Lanka. And when the submissions were first being received, the Islamic side said, we categorically reject the idea or the claim that you can criticise our religion without attacking us. They said, if you criticise Islam, you're attacking us. They, they, because the Christians had said, "Well, this is one of our fundamental values that we can just because we're critical of Islam doesn't mean we hate Muslims and and are vilifying them." And the Muslims said, "No, we we do not accept that principle. If you, if you are criticizing Islam, this is personal, and that that makes a huge difference. And it's it it, it creates a very different society, a much more conflicted society, if you don't if you don't have that the influence of Jesus." Um, Salman Rushdie said when he was a student in uh, in England, um. He really valued this aspect of English culture, intellectual culture, that you could have very robust discussions with people you disagreed with fundamentally without disliking, without attacking the person, you know, and that's uh, we're actually at risk of losing that. Our cancel culture has made it much harder. And that's part of the one of the effects, I think, of the decline of Christian influence on on Western culture, that there's just been increasing personal aggression associated with disagreement.
0: (laughs) It's an eye-opener, isn't it, to appreciate that the tolerance you're talking about actually is a Christian virtue that isn't shared by other world religions. And uh, when we think of even a secular society, even secularism has its roots in Christianity because it's the byproduct of Christianity because this tolerance begins to emerge and so when you get to a multicultural society with different religions that might be at loggerheads with one another uh, there is this Christian uh, understanding of what it is to be able to manage that pluralism that gives people an ability to live in peace and harmony Uh, that's somehow rather misunderstood but it's a powerful thought uh, that that tolerance has its roots in our Christian faith.
1: Yes, and it, it, has, it has roots in the teaching of Jesus about how you deal with people that maybe are against you in some way. And it also has roots in the, in the Christian, actually the biblical, it's Jewish as well, distinction between, uh, you'd say, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. You know, that um, the difference between church and state, between secular and, and ecclesiastical. Um, this is um, this is very very strongly emphasised in the New Testament. Um, Paul says, uh, you know, obey the emperor even though he's pagan and whatever. And Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that that are Caesar's. It actually goes back to the Old Testament pattern where the Jews are told to seek the well-being of the pagan country in which they live in exile. Um, so that foundation of the difference, which, if you like, between Moses and Aaron, between the Political leader Moses and the cultic leader Aaron, you know, um, that has deeply impacted Western culture. And um, in fact, it's really interesting uh, Ibn Khaldun, who was a Muslim medieval um, scholar and he wrote uh, books that are considered to be uh, original, interesting texts in political science, he criticized Europe, Christian Europe, for um, separating church and state you know he he said you fight for all sorts of political reasons we fight for islam and he 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 said look in islam there's no separation and power is all for allah and that's a fundamental difference between christianity and islam that islam creates societies in which the power of the state and the power of the religion are united and one and there's no distinction whereas um the effect of christianity is is normally or, or typically to uh, allow a distinction between the religion and the state, it doesn't mean that people haven't sometimes merged them. They have, um, and those those mergers, if you like, the idea of Christendom has been damaging sometimes for Christian witness. But nevertheless, the concept that there's a difference between p- belief and and the political um, and the state is um, is is deeply Christian. Uh, it, so th- that underpins the concept of tolerance. Um, in an Islamic tradition, tolerance is actually subjugation. It's allowing someone to keep their faith provided that they are inferior and held in an inferior and vulnerable position. So it's, uh, it's, it has a completely different meaning. So
0: when we think of theocracy, uh, which as you described there is uh, is where Islam sits, uh, there is no difference between church and state. They are together. It is a theocracy but it's different in our Christianity where we have a separation of church and state. So that would mean that there's this pursuit coming from Islam towards this theocracy and control of the state that they're in. So, here we are in multicultural Australia and oftentimes people will pride themselves in saying that we're one of the most multicultural nations on earth. And then we say with these Christian foundations that we've had, what does this mean for us that there are other groups that want to be able to um, to, uh, to to overtake uh,
1: those Christian foundations?
0: Any thoughts here around that?
1: I think that's a very important long-term challenge um, that uh, Islamic minorities, within Islamic minorities in the West, there are certainly some voices, not all, but some voices who look forward to an Islamic system, Islamic society, look forward to the Islamization of America or Europe, and the replication of Islamic characteristics. And those voices are quite vocal and sometimes they're backed with violence. And just how to manage that is challenging. So, uh, when I've had conversations with people about this, some of them would say, "Oh, it's just fanciful that you know they'll never they'll never be in a position to fulfil that dream." Um, but nevertheless, even along the pathway, the long, slow pathway of change and transformation of a culture, there are many kind of um, points of of challenge around this. Um, And I think um, countries like the UK, they need a will to maintain the separation between church and state because they'll increasingly come under pressure to break down those differences and to integrate um, faith with, uh, in in a bad way, faith with politics. And um, I think Christians need to find their voice and speak up about these issues as well and be able to speak robustly for it. Um, a Christian worldview in which um, politics and faith are kept distinct. But, yes, it is a challenge for us.
0: Mark, just to pick up on some things we were talking about just before the news, Uh, we talked about theocracy and the thought that uh, in the religion of Islam uh, you've got no separation of church and state. It basically is a theocracy. Uh, The church, really, of uh, Islam dominates. And then you've got the separation of church and state, which has got its foundations in our Christianity. Uh, Let's talk about that because uh, you can take that another step deeper for us when we talk about the way that this separation actually works. And, and, And we often will talk about a separation of powers, a conversation that comes up when elections have been called and such things. But what are your thoughts here around separation of powers?
1: So the separation of powers is that power is distributed in our culture, um, in our nation. Between uh, people will generally say the parliament who make the laws, the executive who implements them, and the judiciary uh, who regu- who makes decisions when there's conflicts. Um, and the idea is that these are meant to be independent. So judges shouldn't be at the be- beck and call of parliamentarians. Public servants should have some... Loyalty and consistency, no matter which party is in power, they should be there to serve the nation, not to serve the power the party. And the reason why that separation of powers developed over centuries is, I think, grounded in a Christian concept, a biblical concept. And that biblical concept is that human beings are capable of great sin. There's there's evil at work in the world. Um, it, it's an idea that's really developed in uh, in Genesis, in in the story of the fall, and then noah's flood and later um, developed all the way through the bible actually that human beings will um, do wrong they'll do harm and one of the ways of dealing with that is to minimize the risk of harm by sharing power separating power into different silos so if you give all power to someone you know this is saying power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely so you you spread the power around and i think that's a christian legacy certainly it's completely opposite to how islam works so in islam um the king is sort of the head of everything um or the ruler is in charge of religion and muhammad was the general the chief justice the high priest the head of state um he he combined all all powers in himself and and that influences islamic society so the, the question is then, that we could ask, is if if the separation of powers is a Christian inheritance, it's a result of a Christian sensibility about the dangers of of corrupting, of people being corrupted because of our tendency to do wrong, because of the reality of sin, which is a very unpopular word these days, it's because of sin that we have the separation of power, because of the reality of sin. If that's the case, then the gradual dismantling of Christian influence in our culture, the decline of Christianity as a as a formative factor in people's character should we expect uh, we can expect should end up in in causing an erosion of the separation of powers and actually that's exactly what we're seeing. Um, we're seeing that it's uh, and there's been articles about this in the newspapers that senior public servants are increasingly aligned with the political agendas. Um, that there's pressures on the courts to to be more political. Um, you know, one of the complaints in Victoria has been that the whole of the public service has become politicised, um, and that's one of the difficulties that will that that, that Victoria is facing in getting out of its current financial problems, um, and. There is a, uh, I think there's evidence that these boundaries are sort of breaking down and th- this is unnerving especially if you take the view that human beings are sinful and we need to have checks and balances to stop sin going crazy like from a Christian point of view the fact that communism ended up killing uh, scores of millions of people is hardly surprising because if you take away those checks and balances and give all power uh, to, a, to one big idea and you deny the reality of human sin, then sin in that context can run rampant, and that's exactly what 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 it did in uh, in communist countries. So I think this is a really um, good example of how Christianity has influenced our culture, and also how that influence is declining. And it's something for us to watch whether whether our um, journalists, our thinkers, our politicians. Um, whether they'll be actually defending this principle or helping to di- helping to dismantle it. And uh, this is something I'm quite deeply concerned about in terms of our well-being as a culture. It's a sort of not so visible but very powerful influence of Christianity. I, mean, I think what's happened now in our culture is that people believe that human beings are basically okay, that they're not sinful, and people think the idea of sin is a kind of terrible idea. And so... If people are basically okay, then they're basically good and, you know, everything will be fine. You just They just need a bit of guidance, you know. Um, In and- fact, you deliver just a wonderful illustration
0: uh, and the evidence for biblical truth because, as you say, uh, sinfulness needs to be contained and... The separation of powers does that on a national level. So I'm going to ask you, Mark Jury, uh, your thoughts here. Is there need for some rules around what happens when you've got these politicisation happening, whether it's the public service or whether it's uh, corporate activism and people taking sides in all sorts of uh, debates that are going on at the moment? Is there some sort of need for rules that might actually help contain uh, this separation of
1: powers and uh, and some levels of harmony. One of the challenges is that you can you can introduce rules and people do have rules, you know, uh, already uh, to some degree. But the problem is it's the character of the people that sustains the culture. So you could make rules for public servants that they shouldn't be too political or whatever, um, and. Uh, you can set up anti-corruption commissions and other things to try and protect um, uh, this, these separations. But if people, if the people themselves, in their heart of hearts, don't believe in the possibility, the reality of sin, if they don't see themselves as being corruptible, if they don't see that what they're doing is um, is itself potentially dangerous, if they accrue too much power to themselves, if they're not able to see that. <laughs> then no amount of rules will be enough. So one of the problems is that it's the formation of character that keeps the nation on track. And we have sort of walked away from that. One of the symptoms of that is actually um, all the compliance that everyone has to go through. You know, uh, there's so many rules and regulations that are affecting universities, schools, churches, religious groups. Every year there's a whole new layer of compliance that's required of us of one kind or another. And all that is driven by, I think, by the idea that the state has to make sure people are good. So they have to make lots of guardrails to keep them in, in, in check, you know, and prevent harm. We just you know, we get new ones all the time. Um, and this is an issue in employment as well, more and more compliance. Um, but, but fundamentally, unless people have a, an awareness of goodness, unless they have character, good character, unless they have virtue, um, no amount of compliance will actually save the day. And so we we are actually increasingly reliant on, on rules and compliance to substitute for the decline of virtue and the loss of a of vision of, of what a healthy um, human character looks like, which which itself was developed in the awareness of the reality of sin and the need to counteract it. So... We're in in difficulties in that area. The character of the people,
0: uh, that's the thing that sustains the culture, as you say, and uh, that's just gold uh, to just capture that imagination for a moment, that the character of people is important. And uh, as you say, if you start to lose the momentum of the character of people helping to shape the nation, then the state tries to step in and make the people good. Is there a response here that has to happen? I guess it starts with every individual, but being more vigorous uh, with our Christian engagement around these sorts of things. Uh, you know, as you'll know, Mark, and uh, you travel and you speak widely. Um, there's not too many people talking about the sinful nature and uh, and how sin corrupts humanity, and somehow or other we we go along with what people try to tell us, that we're all good from the beginning and we're not sinful at all. Thoughts here on how you actually get more vigorous and engage in
1: these areas? I think the church needs to, Christians need to understand that their view of what it means to be human is is different from what's dominant in our culture. What's dominant in our culture is a view that people are here to realise themselves, to be their best their best self, whatever that is. And, and anything that stands in the way of that is, is obnoxious and needs to be set aside. Um, it's about self-realisation. But but Christ calls us to die to ourselves, to to serve, um, to love others sacrificially. It's a very different view of the purpose of, of being human. We're, we're called to worship God and, and acknowledge our own sin, and our need for salvation, our need for intervention by God. So I think that Christians need to hold on to that reality, their view of the human person. They need to know that this will be objected to, the culture will not be happy with them holding this view because it inhibits that self-realization ideology in our culture. Um, and we need to be confident in speaking out and explaining the consequences of walking away from that view of the human person. I mean. Uh, we need to have Christians who will actually say, "Look, this sense of disintegration we're seeing in in different levels of our culture. This is actually due to quite deep um, rejections of 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 the biblical heritage. So that that is necessary. If people need help to do that. that's true. but I think Christians also need to realize that um, they will be disliked for having a view of the human person that's that's out of step with the times. It's inevitable, and they need to actually n- not not feel afraid and not not kind of con- c- contain themselves, they need to speak clearly and graciously about what they believe and to and to be clear with e- each other as well.
0: Let's come back to uh, some more perhaps obvious differences uh, between religions. And talk about the rise in anti-Semitism as it's happening around the world. And uh, you might say the trigger for that has been the uh, October 7th uh, invasion, uh, terror attack that happened against the people of Israel. Uh, and you might say that things that we're even seeing on our streets and a-, a rise in anti-Semitism is happening on the streets of nations all around the world. There's something on the rise here. Uh, when we come to uh, these thoughts of anti-Semitism and uh, there's an opportunity there for us to think as Christians because what we're talking about here is if we're talking a religious war, uh, the Jews and the Jewish religion and Islam with what's happening in the nation of Israel and in uh, with Hamas us and in gaza as christians looking on to that how do we uh, think of the differences between these religions and where we might sit and what we might need to be attentive to mark
1: yeah, there's definitely been a rise of anti-semitism and it's been going on for decades i've been aware of it for more than 20 years and i was preaching about it 20 years ago um so it's been building and it's somewhat it is driven by islam islam's foundational text the quran is very negative towards the jews and i can constantly hear verses of the quran being quoted in the mouths of people like hamas leaders and other muslim leaders around the world and there's been a rash of anti-semitic statements by islamic leaders all over the, all over the place in in recent days on the other hand many christians have been deeply disturbed by this and i know in australia and in other countries too um, the jews have been shocked at the level of christian support from from some Christians, at least, have been willing to speak out and uh, object object to this. This, I mean, one of the problems we're facing is that um, because of the anti-Semitic statements in the Quran and in the traditions of Islam, um, it's sort of dislike and even hatred of Jews is widespread. And the sermons um, that were preached in in Mel, in Sydney at the end of last year are uh, just but but one example, the tip of the iceberg, I suppose. And we, we face a challenge in our culture that the police said they couldn't intervene with the anti-Semitic um, protests on um, in Sydney outside the Opera House. And one of the challenges is that the state does need to have laws that it allows them to, um, in some ways, inhibit or, or suppress extreme statements of hatred and, and prejudice against people based on their religion or their race. But there are dangers in that as well. Um, and one of the problems is that we have a sort of policy for religion where one size fits all, but actually religions are quite different. and um, And they're not all the same thing at all. And so we've got a difficult challenge ahead in terms of our legal system to try and uh, limit vilification of this kind without limiting Christian freedoms. But certainly I'd say to Christians, this is a good time to speak up and reach out to Jewish people and to encourage them. I mean, we love all people. We're meant to be in favor of everybody, really. But uh, Jews are certainly doing it hard. And they never imagined in Australia that they'd lived through times as um, as, as horrible as this. Um, and it's a really difficult moment. It's an inflection point. And I think Christians need to be heard on this topic and say, we we just find it completely unacceptable that these sentiments are being aired so publicly and, and people are being intimidated and, and in their own homes, um, in their own suburbs. Uh, and, yeah, it's... Um, now, Christianity has a legacy of anti-Semitism too. And it, it, and because of that, I'd say that's a, a reason why Christians need to be vocal and not just be silent. It's not a time to be silent about anti-Semitism. And when
0: we're familiar with those Christian uh, anti-Semitic Uh, issues through history that is a lesson for us uh, to correct now hey let's take a call Uh, 1-800-316-316 mike is in tasmania hey mike welcome along uh g'day uh bob dylan's lyrics in slow trainer come and says you're going to serve somebody well it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody yes uh,
1: powerful lyrics yep mark it's true we are made to serve. That's right. And the question is, who are we going to serve? And uh, as for me, I, I've decided to serve Jesus, and that's. Uh, and He invites us to do that. Come, follow me, He said. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So, uh, that's the the answer. Is yes, we should serve the Lord. Uh,
0: interesting. Uh, Get into some controversy here with Mike uh, because the next line in the lyric from that famous song, of course, you're going to have to serve somebody it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Uh, where does that leave us all in the way we think about world religions?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, cultures are not neutral. Cultures have good and evil in them. And religions as organised human creations have good and evil in them. And they deserve to be crit- critiqued sometimes. And... Um, it's not just another flavor of your food. It's uh, these are serious matters. And somehow we need to find a way in our culture to be able to talk about critically about faith, about faith differences and religions without falling into the trap of, of inciting hatred and um, inciting people to violence. But we can't afford to just sort of say, oh, this is a too hot basket. Or as one English politician said, we just don't do religion. You know, that's this cannot be the way forward. This is the century of religion. The 21st century is rightly to be thought of as the century of religion. So we need to become religiously literate. We need to create safe spaces where we can talk about religious differences. We need to be frankly able to acknowledge that religions can be harmful and they can be helpful. We need to find a way to negotiate that. But Uh, We're having a lot of difficulty doing that at the present.
0: Mike in Tasmania, thank you so much for your call. Uh, In fact, time's running very short now. Uh, Let me bring you back to the uh, Islam versus the Jews for a few moments here because for those who might be thinking there'll be a resolution somewhere down the track, uh, all this will be over and the dust will settle and everyone will get on with their lives peacefully. It doesn't appear to be the case. It hasn't been historically, and it may not be for the future. And and I want to ask you even a directly uh, sort of pointed question here, because in the Quran, Muhammad called for violence against the Jews. So is there any opportunity here for peace in the way that we know it Uh, because these religious differences are
1: so strong? Thoughts here, Mark? Yes, I just a, a small correction in the Quran Muhammad did call for warfare against people of the book which includes Jews and Christians. Christians too, but, yes. But in his personal life he in his in his biography he did say um to his followers at one point kill any Jew who comes into your power, which is a shocking thing to say. So then there's there, there are many statements in the Quran that 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 are that are used all the time in in these anti-Semitic statements. So this is the this is a big challenge, and um, if you know the Quran, you can recognise those verses when you hear those voices speaking. Um, so I think it it means that Islam uh, has is has a hardwired stream there of 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 statements about the Jews, which are extremely unfortunate and very destructive, and and drive a lot of what we're seeing at the moment. So um, th- that's hard to get around. It's not. It's not just that there are grievances that need to be resolved, or that there's injustice that needs to be dealt with, or um, you know, that's not the reason. The the reason for the, the Arab world's rejection of Jewish sovereignty is that Islam rules. It's never ruled, and um, the Jews, in particular, of all the peoples mentioned in the in the Quran, the Jews seem to come under the are up for the just about the most um, the highest level of criticism. and and that's that's continuing to be really powerful in shaping people's attitudes and
0: i guess it starts in childhood and an in indoctrination in islamic religion uh, that is anti-jewish or even uh, to take that to the next level anti people of the book uh, jews and christians uh, mark jury time has run out uh, but you've shared some uh, very deep and insightful things today And uh, listeners might like to just do a little more research. You might want to connect with Mark Jewry. You might want to receive some regular updates uh, from Mark as he's writing about issues and uh, always so insightful. Uh, Let me give the markjury.com website because Mark Jewry is founding director of the Institute for Spiritual Awareness and senior research fellow at the Melbourne School of Theology. markjury.com is that website address. He did mention just a little earlier too, and the last time we were talking was around issues in his new book. His new book is called Double-Minded, How Sex is Dividing the Australian Church. I've read the book. It is outstanding. It's a short book. It's easy to read. It's got comparative ideas in there too as to where denominations are sit, uh, sitting around uh, the divide that's coming around sexuality. Uh, there's actually a special launch coming up this Saturday
1: in Melbourne, Mark. Uh, what's planned? Yes, it's, it's Bread of Life Church at 7 o'clock on Saturday evening. Um, it's in North Blackburn. Um, all are welcome. And it'll be good to just celebrate the book and learn a little bit more about it, learn about the, the challenge that's happening uh, to Australian churches as they deal with the outcome of the sexual revolution. So I'm looking forward to it. And uh, there's a number of books, too, that Mark
0: has written around the religion of Islam and uh, some award-winning books in that uh, list as well. markjury.com to connect with our special guest today, Dr. Mark jury Mark, thanks so much for sharing these thoughts and insights with us
1: today on 2020. Always good to speak with you, Neil.